Amen. Well, let me remind you, if you've forgotten, uh, that God is good. He's been good in the past. Uh, He's good today. And he'll be good in the future. And most of us uh, in the room here and online, most of us believe that. At least we believe that intellectually. We believe it by faith. That the challenge is most of the people in our community don't believe it. They don't believe that God has been good, that he is good, and that he will be good. They don't live their lives that way. They, they, many of them, and an increasingly num- increasing number these days, uh, give no thought to God at all. Not, not even is he good or bad, they just don't even think about him. And, and sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, uh, we may not believe it. Circumstances issues, things that are going on in our life. We think, God, God, are you, where's the good God? I, I need you. So we may not believe it. We, we may believe it, but we, we don't act like we believe it. Well, this is actually where the Israelites, the Hebrew people, find themselves in the book of Hosea that we've been looking at for the last several weeks uh, it's mostly gloom and doom over those, these last weeks. Like you're, you're all a bunch of sinners and you're going to pay for your sin. Today, it gets better. And, and God declares his goodness to his people. And my prayer is that he will declare his goodness to you and me as we look at this book in chapter 11. I invite you to turn there, page 757 in my Bible. Again, that might help you or it might not. Hosea chapter 11 is a reminder about God's compassion. It's a reminder about God's love. It's also a reminder about God's justice. And who he is and how much he loves his people. And so we're going to actually read 11 of the 12 verses in this passage, in this chapter. But we're going to sort of divide them into bite-sized chunks this morning. And so if you found Hosea chapter 11, read along with me the first four verses. Hosea 11, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them. With cords of kindness, with the bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. This is beautiful, poetic language. If there's someone in your life that you love, this is a great passage to take and make your own. Cords of kindness, bands of love. What beautiful words, yokes of ease. Maybe don't use that one. (laughs) 
But there's an interesting little start to this chapter. As God is, is speaking to his people through Hosea, he flops, which if you're in English class, you would get in big trouble for. He starts in singular, talking about Israel, Jacob, and then he switches to plural, they and them. He goes from he and him to they and them. Be careful. Um, as he speaks about his people, but God is reminiscing. God is taking this moment and he's reminiscing about his love for the Hebrews. He's reminiscing and, and asking them to reminisce with him about how much he loves them and has cared for them throughout history. He brought them out of Egypt. We know Moses, let my people go. He followed them with a pillar and cloud. He parted the Red Sea. He gave them food every day. They didn't know what it was. Manna, that's the translation is what is it? They had no idea what it was, but they got to eat it every day. He provided for them every day. They escaped slavery. He pointed them to the promised land. He brought them home. And he's reminiscing about how his love has taught them and shown them. And all they did every time, all they did to him is turn their backs on him and go to Baal, not just singular Baal, Baals, all the false gods they turned to. And the more God called them, the more God rescued them, the more God healed them, the more they ran away to false gods. He describes himself like a father. The greatest moment in every parent's life. And today we get to capture it a thousand different ways on video. The greatest moment in a parent's life is when that, however old your child was when he or she walked. I'm going to use he a lot because I have three boys. So when they stood up and they wobbled and then they leaned forward enough so that they had to take a step. Woo, yes, our kid is the best. He is awesome. And then they took maybe one more step and they plopped on their diaper. It's a gr the greatest moment. You're sharing it with all your family and friends and you're so excited. That's what God says, I, that, that's who I was to you. I taught you to walk. I, I was there when you took your first steps. I was like a, a loving, caring father. But if that wasn't enough, I, I was the one who brought healing to you. And the imagery in that second section there is of an army that's wounded, of, of a group of people who have undergone horrendous struggle. And he lifts them up out of their heartache and pain. And he brings healing to him as a loving parent, as a loving father would do. He brings healing in the midst of their pain. And he did that time and time and time again for the nation of Israel. His cords of kindness were evident. The bands of love that wrapped his people up. And then he speaks about Farming, 
which I know all of us are so well aware of. We understand that culture very well. Like a, a gracious and kind master who, who takes the yoke, that heavy piece of equipment, takes that yoke off of the animal to bring ease and relief to the animal after labor, after a hard work, hard day's work. Not just so that they are now eased, but so then he himself can feed them, nourish them, bring strength back to them. That's how God describes himself to the people of Israel. A loving father. The great healer. The one who brings rest and nourishment. And so he's reminiscing for the nation of Israel, of all these mighty things that he's done, all these wonderful things that he's done to care for, to show compassion and grace and love to his people. And so as we begin today, I want to remind you, I want you to be reminded not to miss out on God's love. Don't miss his goodness and his compassion in your life. Think about how God has been good to you. Even if you're in the middle of a dark place right now, even if you're in the midst of struggle, even if you can't really see the light at the end of the tunnel, don't miss God's goodness around you. Don't miss God's compassion for you. Don't miss his love that is always exhibited to you. Don't miss it. Because the people of Israel, they missed it. They ignored it. They walked away from it. They abandoned it. And God, in a strange turn of events, he, he's going down this road of compassion and grace and love, and he takes a hard right in these next passages. So let's pick up this wonderful narrative. After he's fed them, cared for them, taught them to walk, here's what he says. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king. Oh, by the way, you're just going to get taken by another country. Because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. Now that sounds more like Hosea. My people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. This is weird. Like God pours out his heart to his people, how much I love you, how much I've cared for you, how over the course of time I've done all these things for you. And then he just drops the hammer on them. Again, for the 90th time in this book. Because even though God had treated them with compassion and love, they continually turned away. They looked to these false gods, to these foreign kings, and God was going to demonstrate to them the reality of their sin. Because rejecting God and rejecting his love has consequences. Rejecting the love of God has dire consequences. But don't ever forget that God will not desert his people. And, and as he writes this little section here, 
as he describes what's going to happen. And when we even think about people who love us, not, not just if we say, oh, yes, I know God loves me. Uh, we sang about it this morning, the very first song, uh, along with the rest of them. We know that God loves us. But even if you think about the people in your life who love you, your friends and family, even when we reject them, and students, children, if we reject and disobey our parents, and we reject their love, if we reject the love of, of those who care for us and we abandon them, we rebel against that love. That doesn't prevent them from still loving us. Just because you reject love doesn't mean we stop loving. Just because we reject God doesn't mean he stops loving us. What we fail to forget sometimes is that when we reject others, when we reject the love of God, when we reject the standard of God, there are consequences of that. That's where we get mixed up because we, in our mind, think there should be no consequences to anything we do, at least no bad consequences, no negative consequences. And we do everything we can to avoid negative consequences. But if you haven't grasped it, love is not accepting and allowing disobedient behavior. Love is, is not accepting a hardened heart. That's not loving. If you came home every night drunk, the loving thing is not to give you another beer. The loving thing is not to say, it's okay, just don't drive. No. The loving thing is to help you get out of drunkenness, to change your heart so that if your heart is changed, your behavior will change. It's not the reverse. It's a heart change. The loving thing to do is to call us, to, to call us back to the standard, to the love, to the obedience. If you're gossiping all the time about a friend and, and all you have to do is, all you say is negative things about him, the loving thing is not for your other friend to say, yeah, tell me more. That's what we do normally. But that's not the loving thing. The loving thing is to say, hey, let me remind you you claim the name of Christ. You claim to be a follower of Jesus. So let me remind you this little passage in the New Testament that says, let no unwholesome talk come from your mouth, but only what is for the building up of the body. Let me remind you of that. Not tell me more. You're in an unhealthy relationship. The loving thing is not to say, hey, go for it. It's your call. Do what makes you feel good. That's terrible advice. No, that's not loving. The, the most loving thing sometimes is to help you identify the consequences that you're going to face. And that's what God is doing. The most loving thing that he's doing for his people is to say, hey, I love you beyond measure. 
but I'm going to allow you to experience the consequence of your action. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you. But I'm not going to enable you either. Love endures, but it doesn't endorse sin. And if you and I would think about that as we look at our own lives, as we look at our friends and family and say, God, what have you called us to be as the people of God? Not not just the nation of Israel, but we as the church, the people of God, those that follow Christ. May we remember his love and run headlong into it and not reject his love, or his standard. Because we know that no matter what, he won't leave us. And so God in this passage is is all excited. He's like a proud father reminiscing about his people. And then he tells them very plainly uh, that you're done for. This Assyrian king is going to take you away and and you're going to experience the consequences of your sin. But let me remind you again how much I love you. So let's look at how much God loves his people. How, verse 8, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? That's the Texan way to say that. How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. And before you get excited and say, oh, well, okay, I guess there are no consequences to sin because God's not going to get mad at them. No, that's not how we need to read this passage. These verses should not be understood as God's decision to now, oh, I've changed my mind. I'm not going to judge you. Nope. Judgment is coming for the nation of Israel. Judgment is coming. That, that's, blind, that, that's evidently clear throughout the whole book. That, that judgment is coming for the nation of Israel. But these words that God shares are... are Words to say, I am not going to abandon you. I'm not going to completely destroy you. The effects of his wrath would not be fully realized by the nation of Israel. Uh, These two cities that he mentions here, uh, Adma and Zeboim, I know all of us are are ancient geographers at heart, and, and we love the study of ancient cities. And we could just name them all. But these two cities, for those of you who don't know, are actually associated with the ancient cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you know anything about the history of the Bible, you know that those two cities got wiped away because of their sin and their wickedness, destroyed. And Lot's wife turned to salt because she looked back. A complete destruction over these cities. And God says in this moment... I'm not going to treat you like I did then. I'm going to have compassion on you. The effects of my wrath are not going to end in complete destruction and judgment. No, my wrath is going to be tempered 
by my compassion. And I'm going to call you back. I'm going to bring you back from exile. I will not destroy you. Because my compassion is going to override my anger. He uses some great language here about how there's a burning fire and then his compassion grows warm and tender. He plays these two ideas of of heat and fire against each other to describe how he is going to respond to his people. And and this part where it says, my heart recoils within me. We think of a recoil as, you know, it goes and comes back. Well, actually, it means to be overturned. Like his heart is going to be overturned. The anger and the justice that he wants to exercise on his people will actually be overturned to compassion and grace and mercy because of his love. And so though they were experienced consequence to their sin for their rebellion, his compassion for them will win out because he's a compassionate God. But he's also a righteous God. And those two things are not mutually exclusive. Consequence to your sin and God's compassion and love are not mutually exclusive And so he reminds his people that his burning anger will be replaced by his compassion and love. A number of years ago, and I'm confident I've told this story, and as I share all my stories, they're accurate. Let me rephrase, let me say it again. They are truthful, they may not be accurate. If you want the real story, the front row will help you um, after the service. But, but imagine, uh, imagine you're a, a father or a mother, and you've taught your child to walk. The greatest day of your life. Your child walks. You've got it on video. You've got a photo of it. You send it to all the grandparents, cousins, nephews, people you don't like. You put it on social media for the whole world to see how awesome your kid is. And from that day on, from that day on, all your kid does is run away from you. That's the story of our lives as parents. And usually they run away at the most dangerous and inopportune moments of life. A number of years ago, we lived in Orlando. We went to Disney World a lot. We had our family in. We were at Disney World Hollywood Studios. And I particularly share this today because he's not here. Uh, Our middle son, Evan, got lost at Disney World twice. But this time in particular, it was uh, like uh, heart pounding. We were in Hollywood Studios. Uh, we were shopping there in the kind of the main entrance, and Brandy went off to guest services. I don't know the details or remember them. She might. I'll ask her later. Um, okay, whatever happened. Somebody else went to guest services. That's what it was. Somebody else who looked like Brandy went to guest services. <laughs> Truthful, not accurate. So the first service thinks Brandy went to guest services. So somebody that looked like Brandy was wearing a similar top or something, went to guest services. Evan, being the wonderful child he is, followed that person to guest services. We're shopping. I think he's with her. And we got 10 other family there. So, you know, like it's raise a village. It takes a village to raise a child. We turn around. Where's Evan? Oh, I thought you had him. thought you had him. Evan's gone. Gone. 
Okay, so we start asking around the shops. We walk along the main road there. I guess that's Hollywood Boulevard. Uh, we walk around the main road. We get some people. So much so that Disney shuts down the exit for us. Now that's, uh, you know, kind of a big deal. Uh, and we're searching what seems like 72 hours, uh, probably eight minutes. Uh, we can't find him. So finally, please help me, Brandy does go to guest services and looks around. And just off to the side of guest services is a little room where there's a TV. And if you've been to Disney, like, you know, early 2000s through about 2010, uh, they always had these little old, like, 13-inch TVs that showed the original cartoons, the and so, lo and behold, what do you know? There's Evan. Watching cartoons, not lost at all. <laughs> Wondering what all the fuss is about. As we lost 80 years off our life in that time. But that's how we all are sometimes. We think, oh, I'm not going the wrong way. I'm not lost I'm just following who I think I should follow. And we miss. We miss out on God's call to us. We miss out on his voice because we're too zoned in on what we think is best for ourselves because we're so smart or good. And the people of Israel... They missed out on God's goodness because they looked to others. They looked to themselves. And they missed out on enjoying the love of God. They missed it. But God in his goodness and his grace didn't give up on them. That's why this series is God's relentless pursuit. Yet God's love is relentless, never ending, never stopping, always calling us. And, and so as, as the people had, had gone away, his compassion, because when we got Evan back, we wanted to bite his head off. Um, at the same time, we wanted to give him the biggest hug ever, right? And what happened? Evan graduated from high school this year, so we know number one didn't happen. No, our compassion and our love for him overtook sort of the anger and the frustration of him wandering off. We were so excited to see him, so glad to see him. But we did say, Evan, from now on, don't walk away. From that point on, we made sure we knew where Evan was. We didn't worry about Tate or Reed. <laughs> but we knew where Evan was at all times. Still to this day, at 18 years old, we still... But that's, that's God. Right? He, he wants to embrace us with his love and compassion and grace. And let's see how he does that, how he's going to do that for the nation of Israel, how he does it for us all the time. Verse 10. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion when he roars. His children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. 
God is going to call his people back. And he's going to do so with a loud roar like a lion. Not a lion who's hungry and ready to pounce and destroy. No, like a mighty lion who is king of all, who is the great creator, who is over all. And as he roars in triumph and victory, his people will come back in true fear and trembling. They will come back. They will come home. Because his goal is always to bring us home. And though he allows us to go through valleys, he allows us to go through darkness, oftentimes of our own frailty and failure. He's always calling us home. He's calling us to love him back just as he loves us. And the beauty of God's love for the nation of Israel, it's that he called them back in that moment and he, their God, the the covenant God of Israel, draws them back. For you and me, his love is demonstrated fully on the cross of Calvary. When Jesus Christ came to live perfectly, a life that we couldn't live, and to die on the cross to to pay the penalty for our sin, to pay the penalty for our rejection and our rebellion, that's God calling us home. That's the mighty roar, the cross, that sets us free, that makes us new, that allows us to embrace his love, not just for today, but to embrace it abundantly for a lifetime and then for eternity. He's calling us home. He's calling us to love him because he loves us and he always has and he always will. That's the love of a father. Unconditional, relentless love. Be reminded of that today. Will you pray with me?